Well, good evening. I, I do um, the need for biblical decision making, as Richard mentioned, we make thousands of decisions every day. Thousands. I mean, you, you make hundreds before you even leave the premise at your apartment or home in the morning. I mean, you might make hundreds before you even get up out of bed. Um, how many times you're going to hit the snooze alarm, if you're going to pay attention to the alarm, and et cetera. But it's such a need. Uh, God saved me. I grew up in a home with godly parents. I made numerous decisions for Jesus, which often happens in homes, uh, but I was not converted. And it was a week, two weeks of an emotional high, like after a junior high camp or every camp experience on Friday nights. Uh, but I was back living only for myself, and that was the way it was. I was a Christianized pagan, and I was around others who were the same. And, but my parents were faithful, loved Christ, presented the gospel ever since I can remember. And it wasn't until I was 18, I uh, had a choice. Um, our family moved to South Carolina. I had a choice. Uh, my dad gave me one because I was making havoc at home. Uh, I hated, I got to the place where I, I didn't want to be around the light of the gospel. Uh, either, uh, I, I think rightly so, like Tim Keller says, you're, you only have two choices as an unsaved kid in a home with gospel-believing parents. You either are the self-righteous brother uh, or you're the prodigal. You know, you say, I got to get away from here or the other guy thinks I'm just like, uh, I'm, I'm good enough just like Jesus. So that's, an unbeliever can only go in two directions. So I wanted to get away from the light and there was a private boarding, Christian boarding school in Asheville, North Carolina. And my dad said, you either stay here and we'll kind of work through all your issues, or you can go to this high school uh, in another state. And I said, I'll go. So I went there, and God saved me there. Uh, I mean, he has blessed me with repentance and faith and uh, persevered by God's grace since then. It just is, was such a turn uh, that that was conversion and then seeking to, to know more what the Lord wanted in my life. But I just, I, I just don't want to be a talking head up here. I just want to open up my heart a little bit, and you know some of my background. Uh, I, I grew up, I didn't want to ever say things in front of people. I was very quiet. They called me timid, shy, introverted, and then Dobson came along, and so I had low self-esteem. <laughs> I mean, I just was, uh, I just didn't do a whole lot. One-on-one, um, -on -one I was okay, but not in a group. So here God saves me. And I thought, well, I grew up packing, I mean, backpacking and camping. Um, what does God want for me? I mean, those are decisions that you hit. I'm, I'm glad to see a lot of young guys here. I mean, you got decisions. What do I do with my life? What does God want me to do with my life? And um, what vocation or ministry or, you know, all these kind of decisions. Do I marry, stay single? And there I was, age 18, with a lot of decisions, and I thought, well, I'll go into forestry. Uh, I can help God take care of his general revelation away from people. <laughs> I'll sit up in a tower and look for smoke. I mean, I just, I thought, 
I, I'd be more comfortable out there, love the outdoors. And uh, with, I was asking my profs, uh, the teachers there at the high school, how did you know what God wanted for you? And they all had different ways. Uh, they all had different methods. We're going to look at those, Lord willing, tomorrow morning. All the different ways that we tend to rely on in our decision-making. Everything from the weightier issues to the less weighty issues. Uh, my dad was a teacher and pastor, and I could go to the college there, uh, Columbia International University now, for free. And he said, why don't you come down here for at least a couple years and get your gen ed done? Because if you want to go on to school, it'd be good if you could learn and maybe get a degree in forestry or something like that. I mean, never pushed me, pressured me, anything like that. He just trusted the Lord uh, to do his work. And, but I was all over the map. I was flipping coins on decisions. I was looking. I got to the place where I was looking at branches in a tree on whether to go to Atlanta and work for a summer job or stay in Columbia, South Carolina. And I, I'm, I don't know, how's God supposed to tell me which one to do? And so I was looking at branches, and I, this happened one, uh, at the end of one school year, and the branches looked like an A. I mean, it's just the way they were crossed, and I said, Atlanta. Uh, I mean, I was just all over. I didn't flip a coin on who I married, but I'm panic on decision-making. And then you marry, and all of a sudden, the weight of responsibility Oh my, now I'm responsible for her. Uh, and I, okay, uh, what do I do? I, I just didn't know how to make decisions and know if it was God's will or not. And I remember asking my wife and new bride, I said, so, are you going to follow me? And she said, when you start moving. Uh, I, I was so scared to make decisions because I, I certainly didn't want to the Lord to be displeased, or I go in one direction, and if the Lord was going, well, I thought you'd go this direction. I mean, I just didn't know. I mean, I was, wasn't well grounded in the doctrines of grace and the, the things I'm going to be covering uh, even tonight and tomorrow. And then once I got into the married and, and children and ministry, in counseling, just discipleship, intentional discipleship, which is biblical counseling. Do you know why people are often in counseling? Guess what they've not done well? Decision-making. I mean, if you make poor decisions, you're going to end up in trouble. And so many of the men that I would end up talking to, that how, why did you make that decision? Well, I just felt like that was the right thing to do. Well, did you ever consider any commands or principles in Scripture? No, just seemed right. And if you don't help individuals, especially guys, I mean leaders, with making decisions biblically, then it'll, they'll just keep, you'll keep seeing the same person over and over again because they're going to keep making poor decisions and then asking you to help them walk through how to make the best of them. And I just know enough from this church and several churches represented that you're well taught, I mean, from the scriptures. So for a lot of you, this is going to be a Friday night, Saturday review. But it is good to review. 
the things of, of the Lord, his person, I mean, the characteristics of God, and then looking at his word. Because, again, we make so many decisions every day, and if we're not careful, we start relying on other methods other than biblical guidance. It's just uh, as Peter in his epistle uh, wrote, I'm writing these things to you to stir you up to remembrance. We just need to be stirred up uh, from time to time and uh, to help with that. So I'm not talking down to you, although I'm up a few feet, but I'm not talking down to you. I'm coming along as a brother to seek to encourage you. Uh, it's also not my intention to infer that when we follow God's word, the Holy Spirit's not in our decision-making because this is the book that the Holy Spirit gave us to follow. Uh, I'm, I just don't see private, individual private leading and guiding. Uh, I see more God has given us commands and principles for all of us people, but no one has this private pipeline with the Lord that goes outside of Scripture. And I'll talk a little bit more about that tomorrow. So it is personal communication, God's Word, but not private individual communication outside of God's Word to us. So the Holy Spirit is very, very active in helping us, growing us. And when I think about the various decisions... A book that was uh, written last year on the conscience said there are a lot of decisions that we have to make and called conscience issues, and there's so many of them that they just put it in et cetera. But think about, you've got to know what does the scripture say about these things? And a lot of churches end up in trouble because they don't study scripture on these issues But think about these things. Is it okay to watch martial arts or be involved in martial arts? What about uh, reading the Harry Potter series? I mean, there's some individuals. I mean, some people, I think it's wrong. Others think it's right. Treating Sundays differently. Listening to secular music. Dressing modestly. And then what does that mean? You know, in some circles. Uh, Only drink fair trade coffee. What's your position on global warming? Depends on if it's in the summer here or in the winter. (laughs) What about watching TV or movies, playing video games? What about women wearing makeup, or men for that matter, uh, or following strict schedules on parenting? What about medicine, antibiotics, taking antibiotics versus the homeopathic route? What about schooling your children? It's a public, private, home school. I mean, out in our area, there was a church that split over that issue right there. A complete divide in a church over home school or any other kind of schooling. So, I mean, there, what does the Bible say about these different things? What about eating fast food that's unhealthy, unless it's Chick-fil-A? <laughs> What about listening to any kind of Christian hip-hop or family devotions? If you have them, when you have them, how often you have them. What about body piercings, tattoos, smoking cigars, drinking alcohol moderation, going into debt, dating versus courtship, 
having children and when. I mean, you can even get into the whole issue of adopting foster children, how many children to have, um, whether your wife gets a new outfit, uh, you get an outfit for your wife, or you get the new bass boat. I mean, which decision are you going to make there? Get her uh, a nice outfit and have her sit in your new bass boat. <laughs> <laughs> or being overweight or how much biological adoption or foster parenting topical preaching versus expositional I mean there are people I mean is it ever right to give any topical it's just these are all decisions that just keep coming uh, whether you even present the Santa Claus or perpetuate it the myth or a church with multiple services or on different sites or birth control, or et cetera. I mean, those are just some of the issues. And we could go on. There are so many decisions. And especially if you get married to someone who has differences and on parenting issues and discipline, uh, how to discipline the children, and you start getting all differences there, and then you get into a church, and now you have all the people with all kinds of issues all coming together. And so it's... It, there's so many decisions we must make on a daily basis. I was out, uh, my first experience in California when I first went out there uh, several years ago, uh, my daughter said, uh, let's go get a hamburger. And she goes, I, I heard about this place, let's go get one there. And it looked just like a, I don't know, McDonald's place. It's called The Counter. And they give you a menu you have to a menu for your hamburger, and I just well, I just want a hamburger. I mean, how how complicated is that? Well, you have to build your own burger. Do you want turkey, beef? Well, what is a hamburger? I'm not even sure why they call it a hamburger, but beef, turkey, veggie, or grilled chicken. And then, do you want a third pound, two thirds pound, or a pound? You have to check all these things. And then you have to uh, choose a cheese, and there are ten different cheese choices. Then you have to choose up to four toppings on your hamburger, and there are 18 choices. And if that's not enough, there are premium toppings, another 10 premium toppings. So you can add up to 28 different toppings. And then choose a sauce, and there are 18 different sauces. And then what kind of bun do you want? You want an English muffin, hamburger, honey wheat, and you're going... I mean, this is where you get into, especially in our country, you don't get this in a third world country, th these kind of choices. But you can get into that paralysis of analysis. I mean, I, I'm like, this is too many decisions to try to make when I just want a hamburger. But this is part of the thing living in our country with so many options, it makes it even more challenging in decision making. J.I. Packer writes in one of his books, he says, wrong ideas about God's guidance lead to wrong conclusions about the right thing to do. So if we don't understand what does the scripture say, then we won't be doing what the scripture says. And it, we have another major challenge, not so much maybe in your church, but the a Lifeway from the Southern Baptists took a survey among their churches, 2,000, and they got back the results on biblical 
illiteracy. And they just said it's an epidemic. This was the result of their survey. When they got them all back, 2,000 of them, and these were all regular attenders of their churches. 45% read the Bible more than once a week. Only 45% read more than once a week. 40% maybe once or twice a month. Almost one in five churchgoers said they never read the Bible. So this is a, a, an epidemic of biblical illiteracy. And if God has communicated his will here and we're not in it, we won't know what God wants us to do. And then you have all the results uh, from that. So I'm going to cover a lot tonight. Uh, So I have to, my wife says, talk fast. And I said, well, it's hard when you think slow. But I want to take you to a couple of passages about God's will. And then we're going to do some review and some uh, look at some of the different terms when we're talking about God's will. Uh, I'm going to mention a few of these references. We won't look at these. I'm going to, I'll talk which ones to turn to. Deuteronomy 29, 29, you don't need to turn there. But that's where uh, there are secret things that belong to the Lord. But then there are things that he's revealed uh, and it says to our sons that we might be able to teach others. So there's things revealed, and there are things that are secret to the Lord. So what God holds us responsible for is knowing what he has revealed. Psalm 19, especially verses 7 and following, all about God's word and how profitable it is. Psalm 119, that's how to live your life in light of Scripture. Psalm 119, the psalmist about every verse there in Psalm 119 is he, he's finding everything about his Lord and guidance through the scriptures. Um, Matthew 6, we're to pray, uh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, the Lord's Prayer. Let's go to Matthew 12. Matthew 12, verse 50. And I'll start at verse 46. While he, Jesus, was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. One thing I found, and I, uh, that I did my doctoral work on this topic of decision-making because I thought, I need to learn on uh, how to make decisions biblically myself and help others. And what I was finding in all these different passages we're looking at is there's nothing about go find it. There's no verse, go find it. It's do it. There's an assumption running all the way through the scripture. You know God's will. 
Read it, study it, and do it. And so here it is, as those who do, who do the will of my Father. We'll see this again. Uh, you don't need to turn to this passage, Ephesians 5.17, where it says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. Right? Don't be foolish, but understand what it is. And then it goes on to say, don't be drunk with wine, uh, but be filled with the Spirit. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. This is what Paul and Timothy were praying regularly for the, uh, this church that he had never visited yet on his missionary journey. And so he says in verse 9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. That word filled means to be under the dominating control of. Uh, it's used in Ephesians 5 of don't be intoxicated, don't be filled uh, or drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Be under the dominating control of the Spirit in Ephesians 5. Here, it's being under the dominating control and influence of the knowledge of God's will. One chapter later in chapter 3, I mean two chapters later in chapter 3, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And then it goes on. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Same point here. Be filled under the dominating control of the full knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, if that's true and that's happening in our lives, if we are under the dominating control of God's will, revealed will, then this is what will happen. Verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Boy, isn't that what we're after? Isn't that what we want? To walk in a way that pleases the Lord. Any, any person who says, I really want to please the Lord, well, then you better be under the dominating control of the, the will of God and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Because that's what it leads to. Sort of the result in verse 10. And then it goes on to say, and this is what your life will look like if you are walking in that manner. It says you'll be bearing fruit. In every good work, I mean, you'll be increasing in the service, good deeds towards other people. You're going to be loving people and serving people. And you will be increasing in the knowledge of God, because you're going to be in his word, learning all about the God of Scripture. And you will be strengthened, verse 11, with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Endurance is putting up with difficult circumstances. Patience is usually with difficult people. That's usually how it goes. Endurance, hang in there, uh, in difficult circumstances, which Job did. And then you'd be increasing also in patience with people. Uh, And that's difficult people, people who usually sin against you. At least that's the way it's used about the patience of God in light of people sinning against him, and do that with joy. 
and you will be giving thanks to the Father. I mean, look, that's the sort of portrait of a, of a man walking worthy of the Lord who's under the dominating control of the will of God. It kind of goes from a prayer to the purpose to a, almost a portrait and rehearses the gospel right there in verses 12 and 13 and 14. So again, the will of God. Then let's turn to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. And I'll start at verse 35. It says, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have, no, you have, uh, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what is promised. You catch that? You, you have done it. There's no mystery here on what his will is. Just maybe turn a page or two to chapter 13 of Hebrews. At the, towards the end of that chapter, chapter 13, Verse 20, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may, what? Do, do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What other place? Let's go to 1 John. This is how we know when we pray, he hears us. 1 John 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know what he, that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him, but it's all according to his will. Now, when it comes to just the, the word of God there, and I, again, there's a lot more verses that we could turn to, but there's an assumption among God's people, I mean, throughout Scripture, is that it's not a mystery of what God's will is for them. It's, it's already revealed his will, the aspect of it that we need to read, study, meditate on, and apply. That's why I like Dr. MacArthur's little booklet, Found God's Will. It's not lost. It's not a mystery. That's why don't be foolish, but understand what his will is. Be under the dominating control of it. It's, it's right here. Now, the practices that people get themselves into who think there's something else than scripture. I've been collecting the way people practice trying to find God's will. And that's where I was at. And so I've been collecting over the years all the different things people say, well, this is how you know what God wants for your life. This one lady was, uh, couldn't decide whether God wanted her to visit relatives out in California. She was in Colorado. 
And so she said while she was on her knee, she glanced up at her digital clock and it read 747. And she knew that was a type of aircraft. So she believed God was speaking to her, telling her what his will was based on the numbers on the clock. And so she went to her pastor and shared this. The pastor who wrote this book said, I must confess, I was not convinced. I would have been more impressed if the clock had read 767. You have to kind of think through that one. Um, That would be a first. And these are all, I think, probably well-meaning believers. And here is a book written on dieting for Christian ladies. Over a million copies sold. In chapter 3, at the end, obviously everyone's wondering, uh, these ladies who are reading this, how many pounds does God want me to weigh? How many calories do I need to eat each day? Uh, I mean, body shape. And so they, this is what they say. Um, you need to pray this prayer. Uh, he says, and they write this prayer. So you're supposed to pray this. Father, in the name of Jesus, I need specific guidance and direction in my life right now regarding my eating habits. You can see I need your help in losing the extra pounds on my body. Show me your will. Please speak to me and show me how much weight you want me to lose how much you want me to weigh, and how many calories I need to eat each day. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Now that sounds biblical. The last phrase taken from Samuel. But that's the most abused portion of Scripture there is, is narrative. You'll find people going into narrative and pulling out all kinds of things. Uh, And that just tells us what happened. doesn't always tell us what should people should do. But what if she looked at the clock and it said 747? Um, that wouldn't be many calories every day. And, and it's, this is the kind, there's so many well-meaning brothers and sisters in Christ and young people who are going, I, I want to know what the Lord wants. Uh, I, I want to please him. What does he want from me in the decisions that they're making? And so these are the kind of things that you end up reading or hearing about. And again, profs have said some of these things as well at different schools where I've been. This was uh, at Grace Community Church was a couple who came in for counseling. And they had trouble, this married couple, ever since they met. And so the associate pastor asked them, how did you determine to marry each other to begin with? And that husband recounted it from, he was at a different church, he and his girlfriend at the time. They went to their pastor, and the pastor reminded the young man of how Joshua and the Jews marched around Jericho and several times and how the walls collapsed. That's biblical. Then the pastor suggested that the boyfriend literally walk around his girl several times in the office. And if the walls of her heart collapsed, then he could be sure God wanted him to take her for his wife. Now this is getting really strange. So he obeyed. He circled the girl several times and popped the question, have the walls of your heart tumbled? 
she responded by saying she felt strange inside. Let me interpret that. Let me interpret what strange means inside. It means get up and run out of there as fast as possible. (laughs) But now they both concluded her heart had fallen in love. Notice there was no horn blowing. But see, and people are thinking, look at we're making decisions biblically using uh, parts like that. I was sitting next to a woman, uh, one of the, the legs of uh, a trip, and we were leaving Louisville going to Dallas. And uh, this lady sitting next to me, I had um, grading, I had some papers out, I was grading, and she said, are you a Christian? And I said, yes. And she said, so am I a Christian author? And so I asked, I, I didn't know her name. I mean, I, I never heard of her before, but that doesn't mean anything, really. And I said, so are you from, um, from Louisville? Are you just coming through Louisville? You're from Dallas? And she says, well, I'm in Dallas right now, but God hasn't shown me the second donkey. <laughs> I'm going, oh, did I hear her right? <laughs> and I said, uh, did you just say he hasn't shown you the second donkey? She goes, yeah. She said, uh, you know your Bible, don't you? Apparently not that well. <laughs> and she goes, um, remember uh, King Saul before he was king, his father's donkeys were lost? And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, they were found, they're dead. I mean, <laughs> what? She goes, well, God had to show Saul where the donkeys were at. And he hasn't shown me the second one. I'm not sure what all that meant, but I noted it. That'll be another illustration that I can give. (laughs) Promise boxes, promise calendars. Are you familiar with this? Um, They they used to be like a little plastic loaf of bread in a store, and they have verses cut out of context, and they're supposed to be pieces of bread in this box, and you put it on your your uh, table in the morning and you pull a verse up for the day. It's like the evangelical fortune cookie approach to decision making. So you pull it up, you read a verse. Most of them aren't promises, but they have promised calendars too. And someone gave me one and I start flipping through and I'm thinking, how bad are some of these verses? I mean, right out of context. And I found one. This is the winner. Uh, this is for March 10th. The, pa- the passage, the verse is Luke 4, 7. The promise of the day for believers, look, reading this, so if you worship me, it will all be yours. Luke 4, 7. I mean, I read that, and I went, that was Satan. That was <laughs> Satan tempting Jesus. And you're like, this is the promise of the day. This is not a way to live your life. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> then this book, which in God's providence is out of print, it's impressions, how to know from God or from Satan. This author says you can detect the devil by one of two things. The devil always talks loud. So when a spirit makes an impression on my mind, the impression can be made in a loud, boisterous way, or the conviction can come quietly, gently, and sweetly. So he says, when the devil makes an impression on people's hearts and when he speaks to the soul, he talks loudly. And where are they getting that from? 
Where do you think he's getting that from? It's narrative. The still small voice. Remember that with Elijah? But I guarantee you when Jesus was teaching thousands with no microphone, uh, he was not whispering. And on this goes, and I, I could share so many more illustrations of just Christian after Christian, and a lot of these are leaders. And they're just telling God's people, this is how God tells me what to do and what not to do. And they're not pointing everyone to the scripture and read this, study it carefully. It's all extra biblical, which gets into subjectivity and a bit of mysticism. And that's just um, some of the different practices. Now I want to go to your notes. So that was just the first part there that's basically blank, I mean, underneath the Roman numeral one. But I want to move now to just studying God's word. If this is the will, the aspect of God's will that's been revealed to us, that we're to study and know our God, know his plan for our life, how to grow and change, become like Christ, what we're supposed to do here on earth and the future. I mean, if it's for life and godliness, this is God's revealed will, then we have to study and prayerfully study his word. Now, you don't have this in your notes. Anything I have um, via PowerPoint, if you're saying, boy, I, I like, uh, I, I'll be going too fast maybe in some of these that you can't write it all of it down, I'll make these available. I mean, um, so don't think you're, you're going to miss something here. This is um, something that we're facing in our culture more and more is what, what is truth. It, it's, um, they look at the Bible, and I'm just talking even our evangelical culture. A big swipe there, evangelical culture. The evangelical culture that was surveyed and hardly half of them read the scriptures, that kind of broad sweep. But what happens is they go, oh, all truth is God's truth, which is a truism. But they'll say, well, God speaks to me personally, intuition, subjectively. And he'll speak through all the research that's done out there and man studying man in psychology, sociology. And there's all kinds of truth in the hard sciences. And there's truth in the Bible. This is very popular on a lot of college campuses, university campuses that are, quote, Christian. Is uh, There's truth all over the place. So let's just, uh, it's like a buffet line. And I'll take a little of this, I'll take a little of that. And so when you're talking to individuals, they'll say, oh, this is really true. Well, you, how do you know it's true? Because I feel it's true. Wow. Uh, well, the scripture says, yeah, but my, I feel it's true. Yeah, but the Bible says, and all of a sudden you're learning what their authority is. Because God doesn't give truth on an equal plane of certainty and authority. Truth doesn't come that way. And I appreciate Dr. Robert Thomas, who's now retired from the Master's Seminary, who said, when God gives us truth, it comes in descending order of certainty and authority. 
You know what's really true and then what's less true. It comes in different levels, descending levels of certainty and authority. The first level is absolute certainty and absolute authority, and that's God's revelation, God's word. That is absolute. Let God be true and every man found to be a liar. So even if 99% of our culture today says um, gender can be all mixed up and God says he made a male and female, let God be true and every man a liar. But wow, in so many churches, oh, but science says. And psychologists say. And I feel, and in your learning, when you minister to people and you're, you're listening to them very long, especially in a counseling and discipleship relationship, where is their authority? And with all of us, it should be absolute 100% authority and certainty with Scripture. Then you drop way down. I mean, there I tried to fit it all in one slide. But I mean, you drop way down to science to the hard sciences. And I'm glad, I mean, mankind, that's the best we can do, is hard sciences, the double-blind crossover tests, the empirical method, but that is far cry from revelation. What's true today, they say, changes tomorrow. You know, it's bad to eat an egg, and now have an egg. It's bad to drink coffee, and now you can have coffee. And it changes. Even in the medical sciences, different things change, what they used to do. Even a decade ago, they wouldn't dare do now. And then you drop way down. This is less and less objective, less and less authoritative. Is philosophy and psychology. That's man studying man. Usually unsaved man studying unsaved man and telling us what's normal. And they can't even define what's normal. If you look up normal in Webster's Dictionary, it says you're not abnormal. They can't even define what normal is. So it's man studying man in a limited way. And then you drop to the very, uh, the least certain on truth is what I think is true. And it's almost inverted. I mean, you're talking with people on the street today, uh, it's almost completely inverted. The Bible is the lowest, uh, and how I feel and think is the, the top. And that's a, and it's a very, you know, revealing when you're ministering to people and listening to them, finding out where is their authority. Now, this, in your notes there, just uh, when we study God's revealed will, we need to accurately interpret it using basic principles of interpretation. Uh, often called the word hermeneutics, or laws of interpretation. And just taking it literal where you can take it literally. I mean, there's different genres of scripture, but God gave us his word to communicate to us, not to hide messages from us. He, it's, he gave us his word to communicate. And when I'm trying to communicate to my wife and children, I'm not trying to hide stuff trying to be clear. So the literal principle, the historical principle, what was going on at the time that particular passage was written, uh, the author, what did they know at the time? 
the grammatical principle, and now you're getting into what's the subject, what's the verb, what's the object in it, helps in interpretation, very much so. And then the synthesis principle is what does the other 65 books of the Bible say? I'm reading one or a portion in one. What does the rest of Scripture say? Because it's one divine author, and he doesn't contradict himself. Truth isn't plural. And the Holy Spirit didn't stutter. He speaks one thing, and he meant one thing. That's why the, the issue with, uh, and I've read quite a few five views on things. I even wrote a section for uh, InterVarsity on five approaches to helping an individual in counseling and the biblical counseling approach. The five books views, when you get five views on this and five views on that, the Holy Spirit didn't give five views. There's only one. And so it's up to us to do real careful study that how some of them you read and you go, definitely not that. I mean, looking at the scriptures, you're narrowing it down, but truth is singular. So it's like, Lord, help us in a humble way. Help me to keep reading and studying. But what does all of scripture teach? And then practical principle. We don't want just heady people, just more knowledge. Knowledge alone puffs up. But, uh, and I'll give you some quotes from a few theologians about the importance of practically applying what we're reading in the scriptures. And so this is how we build, uh, starting with the 66 books of the Bible called the canon, and then accurate Bible study and exegesis as best as you can. Read what it comes out of the scriptures. I mean, you're understanding it through careful Bible study, then it goes to biblical theology, to systematic theology, to applied theology. And it, if, to look at it would be like this. God gave us revelation in the Old Testament, starting at Genesis, all the way up promising the Messiah from chapter 3 on, when Christ came in the Gospels, and then more revelation was built, I mean, just more given, until we have all of it, and it finished there at the end of the book of Revelation. That's the 66 books of the Bible. Then with accurate Bible study and exegesis, as we just looked at, and I'm learning more and more now that when you get into the whole hermeneutics, there is an approach that tries to see Jesus in every verse, called the Christological or the historical redemptive method. And then there's the method of saying, no, He's not in every verse, but he is the end of my study from the Scripture should take me to Jesus, uh, uh, labeled the Christotelic approach. So just carefully looking at the Scriptures, not reading something in that's not, not there. And then you're going to biblical theology, which is categories of truth, propositional truth, but create from the creation, fall, redemption, consummation. It's, as you're reading and studying, it's linked to themes running through the Bible. And then what does God's Word say in the various systematics of uh, all of God's Word about a particular topic, the church? What does all of God's Word say about the Spirit? What does all of God's Word say about Jesus? And you move into what's called systematic theology. I know a lot of you have uh, been taught that or have, have taught it or been taught. 
And then you have the applied theology. And this is the end of study of Scripture. It ought to go into doing what we hear. All right, this is James, Jesus' half-brother. Actually, it's the Spirit through James. That's teaching us you must be a doer of the word, not just a hearer only. This is John Frame. Some of you know uh, that name, a theologian. He says, theology is a spiritual task. Theology is application, he says. If it doesn't edify, it's worthless. It is not information for information's sake. It should never be a vehicle to intellectual pride. What we have to be careful of in our churches and schools when we're teaching is information alone does not equal transformation. Information alone does not equal transformation. We have to be specific doers of what we hear. So every time I'm, I'm hearing a message, I'm going, so what do I need to do in relationship to that? And so in our small group, we have one at our home, we unpack the message from Sunday and we just sit around and we're talking, how can we apply this? Because if we're not doing this, then we're just getting more proud. And so that we talk about that and then we pray and then we ask each other questions and how's it been going and we follow up next week and how things are going in that area. Now there are key definitions and you have these in your notes, at least the words. And a lot of you have, again, read a lot on God's will. But God only has one will, two aspects of his will. So it's just good when someone says, what's God's will? And you're thinking, well, which aspect are you talking about? Uh, he has his decretive, sovereign will, often called his will of purpose. And providence is how he carries that out. And you think, well, what is his decretive will? That sovereign will. It's in every detail. It's his predetermined plan. He, he spoke and it happened. I mean, it, he, the will is set. It's all happening. Everything is happening according to his will. In Ephesians 1.11. He's working everything according to his will. You go, wow. Um, he declares the end from the beginning, he says in Isaiah. And everything in between. And he's over it, he's sovereign, and he's providentially making it happen. Like, I know it's God's decreed of will that you're here tonight. How do I know that? You're here. <laughs> now, if you ask me, what is God's decreed of will 10 minutes from now, five minutes from now? I don't know. So you don't know it looking ahead. You know God's decreed of will and how he providentially made it happen by looking backward. Everything that's happened from Genesis on, we know. And even before uh, he, time began, we read verses that tell us what happened then. So looking back, God will take care of his decretive will. He planned it. He ordained it. He will take care of it. He's faithful, covenant-keeping God. And providence is how he secretly makes it happen. He moves circumstances and people to make sure that happens. So we trust him. 
We plan our way, Proverbs 16.9, and God redirects our steps. So encouraging. Now, there is an exception. We do know some of God's decretive will ahead of time if it's revealed in the Bible in the form of prophecy. God tells us this is what's going to happen. This is what heaven's going to be like. So he, he tells us in prophecy some things in the future. But other than that, I don't know what my I don't know how many days I have, but I know God's numbered them. We don't know what tomorrow holds. But we know he is over it. He is sovereign, not just sovereign, but all the rest of his attributes. Sovereignty alone does not always encourage you by itself. Because a despot can be sovereign. Sovereignty with goodness and wisdom and mercy and compassion, and you get all of the attributes of God, well, that is our majestic God that we worship. So this is one aspect of God's, decree, uh, of God's will, called this decretive or will of purpose. Then you have God's preceptive will, or precepts, or revealed will. That is the scripture, special revelation. And again, I'm not, I know a lot of you could stand up here and teach the same thing. It's just good to be reminded of this. The two aspects of God's will, and he gives it to us in commands and principles. There are commands in the Bible. This is what God says, do and don't do. And then there are certain commands to certain people. There are certain commands to all of God's people. And you have to do careful study. Was this a command just to the Apostle Paul? Or was this a command to all of God's children? And then there are principles which are more indirect. And I think that's one of the most neglected areas in decision-making. So this is a way I try to illustrate it. I think you have this in your, your notes. If the diagram there, all events, past, present, and future, everything in blue there is God's decree of will. Let's just say from beginning to end, there's God's decree of will. Nothing happens outside of that. You're never outside of God's decree of will. And what I found interesting looking through the scripture, there's no plan B for your life. There's only one plan for your life, and you're in it. You say, but I've, I've, I have made some bad decisions. I made some sinful decisions. Okay? So you, you violated his revealed will, but you're never out of his decreed will. And it's not plan B, C, D. Some of us would be on triple Z. Uh, you go, oh, man, I miss God's best. I married an unbeliever, uh, and God had a believer for me, so now she has to go and re, or uh, re, you know, go to second best, or I'll divorce this wife, and I'll go try to find, and go, what? This is some of the stuff I end up sometimes in counseling, uh, of an ignorance of there is no plan B. This is God's plan for your life. Now, God has scriptures to how to live with an unsaved spouse and how for you to become more godly and be more biblical. In God's decretive will, he gave us his preceptive will, his revealed will, scripture. And in it, through commands and principles, he guides us. And he wants us to walk according to scripture. And he's, he's making sure you'll redirect 
But he, he's given us this to know and to do. This is our responsibility to know and do this with the help of the Holy Spirit for his honor and glory. But he's up and moving circumstances and people. And so we trust him, but we need to know his word, his revealed will, and do it. No one can walk perfectly in that red there in your notes in that middle. Jesus did. Never sinned. We're not there. So what we do and what the Lord wants to do in our, all of our lives is if you follow that line there, he, he uh, I don't know if I can make that. Let me see here. Well, well, it's to tighten up our walk. In other words, he doesn't want me, if I have a decision like when I... Uh, was asked to come here. He doesn't want me going out and looking at trees or flipping coins. He wants to mature me to make a biblically informed decision by following commands and principles. And so he wants to tighten us all up to his word, more and more under the dominating control of Scripture, more and more what saith the Scripture. You, you see that even with Apostle Paul when issues come up. Well, what saith the Scripture? Jesus did that all the time. He, what does Scripture say? That's our, our guide. The Westminster Confession, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture under which nothing at any time is to be added whether by new revelations of the Spirit or traditions of men. Even J.C. Ryle in the mid-1800s said the Bible, must not be our, uh, the Bible must be our standard. Whenever we're confronted with a question about Christian practice, we must apply the teaching of the Bible. Sometimes the Bible will deal with it directly, and we must go by its direct teaching. Often the Bible... Uh, will not deal with it directly, and then we must look for general principles to guide us. It doesn't matter what other people think. Their behavior is not a standard for us, but the Bible is a standard for us, and it's by the Bible that we must live. So commands would be uh, like a road map, turn right or turn left. Commands. Principles are like a compass, Go east. Well, I could take 10 roads east. You have the freedom. But east. See, that's the beauty of Scripture. Sometimes it's real specific, do this, don't do this. But often, for his children who want to serve and love God and knowing his word and knowing God, it's principles. Go in this direction. Well, that really helps me because I didn't know go which direction, go this direction. Well, I have freedom. There is freedom. But knowing God will redirect my steps. And it's a beautiful thing to look back and see God's providence. Because even a guy could say, well, I can marry then any other woman. I mean, a single guy. I can marry a godly uh, woman. It could be any of these different godly women in the church. That's true. 
if they're single and of age, um, well, which one? Use biblical principles. Well, what if three are equal? Well, three shouldn't be that equal in your life. Don't get that close where three are equal. But, but even if there were, you say, well, I'll go, maybe this one, I think that's the one. Well, aren't we thankful God in his sovereignty will redirect your steps? And if I do and I wills take place and now I pronounce you man and wife, that is God's decreed will and you followed his biblical principles and commands, uh, rejoice, work at being the exemplary husband. Now, let's th- uh, I'm going to getting close to the end here on just a few more words on key definitions. The next one here is wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge practically applied towards a holy or moral end. Wisdom in the scripture, to be wise, is applying knowledge. It's knowledge applied to a holy or moral end. In other words, there's a purpose for it. And unfortunately, in our culture, they don't seek wisdom. More of a Greek-oriented model. But in Hebrew culture, you would seek, well, who, who knows Scripture and is seeking to live it? I'm going to go talk with them. They would be the wise men and the wise women. So wisdom, you say, well, I, 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 Lord, I'm praying for wisdom. Then know his word and seek to apply it. Right? If you want to grow in wisdom, you have to know his word and then seek to do it. Another word that has become quite popular, the practice has become quite popular, is mysticism. It's subjectivity applied in the spiritual realm. It's subjectivity. A truth comes from me, is is, um, verified by me, and in the religious realm, then it's called mysticism. There are a lot of subjective people out there who live subjectively. But when you do that in the realm of religion, now it's mysticism. And it's very popular. A form of identity theft. When they're saying, God told me this, and God laid this on my heart. And you're saying, Ooh, don't take God's name in vain. Right? It's a form of identity theft. R.B. Kuyper, a prof at Westminster Seminary, who's now with the Lord, he said, mysticism, the essence of mysticism is to separate the operation of the Holy Spirit from God's objective word. You're separating the operation of the Holy Spirit from God's objective word. You say, well, I want to honor God, then honor his word. If I say, well, I need something more than God's word, then I don't believe it's sufficient. I'm really attacking the honor of God when he has given us the complete revealed will, and that's not enough. I need something else. Dr. MacArthur says, and again, all these can be made available if you want these. I mean, we can make a PDF or something and um, get these quotes if I'm going too fast. Mysticism is the idea that direct knowledge of God or ultimate reality is achieved through personal subjective intuition or experience apart from 
or even contrary to historical fact or objective divine revelation. It's just people moving outside the scripture and saying, God talks to me this way, and he tells me all these things. And you're thinking, no, he talks to all of us one way, and that's through the scripture. There's not the have and have nots. I used to, well, when I, a speaker would get up and say, you know, this morning when I was thinking about driving here, um, I thought about taking this route, but no, the Lord said, Stuart, no, go this route. Well, I'd listen to that and think, man, I want that. I want that kind of stuff. I mean, he'll maybe tell me answers to all the questions I have. I, I want that kind of communication. And then you have the have and the have-nots. And that's not the way God communicated to us. He gave us all this. Everyone has. And that's a, such a comforting thing. So, well, what is going on with these people? That's just their own subjectivity. And they're putting God... His name, I believe, taking it in vain and putting it on it. Well, God told me this and God told me that. And it's just you, feel, you have feelings and whatever, but don't put God's name on it. And lastly, experience. He said, well, experience is important. I mean, it's, it's, we live in experiences, yeah, but experience is not our authority. It's in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, and I'll be closing with this. Where Peter says, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. This is verse 16, then 17. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory... This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with them on the holy mountain. Now that's, that's a lot of experiences right there. Uh, we, we saw Jesus. We were with Jesus. Jesus even touched them when they were scared after the Father spoke. He said, put his hand on them and said, don't be afraid. I mean, they were with him. They saw him light up in all of his glory. They heard the Father speak. I mean, there's some major experiences going on there. And then what the Spirit through Peter writes in verse 19, and we have the prophetic word, that is Scripture, more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention. There's something more sure than your experiences. And that's God's word. If it comes to, I don't even know how to interpret my experience. Well, let's move from experience to God's word. Let's go to something less sure to more sure. Right? So I don't argue people's experiences. I mean, they'll say, well, he appeared to me in a dream and he told, you know, you can't argue. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. Yeah, I mean, it was just them there in this whatever dream or uh, impression Let's just keep moving from the less sure to the more sure. And that's what we'll hold on to. That's truth. And uh, with God's help, tomorrow, this is just sort of a getting us in the field with the terms 
uh, how many decisions we make on a daily basis. Tomorrow morning, I like to go over almost the alphabet of ways we can tend to make decisions that are, some are just not good. They violate biblical principles. And others aren't very sure. So let's go to something more sure and how we make our decisions. So that's in the morning. Then I want to look at what are the biblical principles. How do we um, know the commands and principles? And then the last session is, so what does that look like? Let's walk through a few examples. And I'm going to go from something more serious to something like, should I buy a pet or not? Uh, I mean, we'll just, let's take the commands and principles, let's work them. And, and Lord willing, for a lot of you, I would say maybe most, who are like, well, I'm, I'm in the scriptures and we're commands and principles and all my decision making, praise God and excel still more. But at times when you just go, I don't know, I just, I go more on how I feel now. I'm tired and so I just, yeah, whatever. That's not good. And Lord, help us to be more persevering and more faithful to his word, which honors him in the process. Well, let me close in prayer. Well, before I do, there are a couple of questions here. I think you have, uh, here's one. What am I really relying on when it comes to making all of my daily decisions? What am I really relying on? How do I view God and his word? That is functionally. I could take a test and sound like Grudem or, or Burkhoff, but I mean functionally. Uh, how do I view God and his word on a daily basis? And what commitment will I make to read, study, and personally meditate on scriptures, which meditation is the bridge between hearing and doing? And how much time am I putting into the scripture? And what is my commitment to lovingly obey God and his word? So as we're loving his word, we're loving him. We're loving our God. So let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for this time together. I know I went over a little bit, and I, I just pray that this time reflecting on your word, just being encouraged again with sound doctrine, that on a daily basis, you're very concerned with all these crossroads of decision-making, that we walk in a manner worthy of you, pleasing you in every respect. And to do that, we must be filled with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Lord, I know uh, I, I can spend more time on social media. I can spend more time watching the news or TV than I may put in your word. So, Lord, help us uh, to be evaluating, changing, repenting, replacing, renewing our minds, even tonight and tomorrow, uh, as we seek to learn how to walk in that manner and be filled with the knowledge of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.